So uh, we're doing Revelation. If you haven't been with us, um, then uh, all our messages are recorded and online, so you can always catch up, which particularly with Re- Revelation, I can't even say the word, that's not a good start, is it? with Revelation is a, is a useful thing to be able to do. I feel um, that my job this morning, uh, looking at Revelation chapter 2, uh, which is four of the letters to the churches, and then Phil's doing chapter 3 next week, so I feel like my job is to set things up, and your job is to knock them out of the park, okay? <laughs> so um, we, th- we looked last week at John's awesome revelation of Jesus Christ. And if ever you wanted a description of what Jesus is like, then that uh, bit from verse 9 of chapter 1 onwards is a brilliant description of what Jesus is like, or an attempted description of what Jesus is like, because John uses, he's like this and this and this, because it is just impossible to really put down onto paper the glory and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus. And then towards the end of uh, that passage, these words are written. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jacob, would you just turn me up a fraction because I'm trying not to strain my voice. I'm not doing a great job. Thank you very much. From the profound, majestic revelation of Jesus directly to the church. From the profound revelation of Jesus directly to the church. It's so important that we grasp that at the beginning of this series on revelation and in general. Eugene Peterson said this, St. John's vision is not a private ecstasy given to him to compensate for his rock-bound exile. It is for the seven churches that are in Asia Arguably, that's exactly what he needed, a vision of Christ. But it wasn't for him. It was for the church. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, pulls us into community. It restores us to God as our Father. It unites us and sets us together in community. These scrolls, the letters were written on scrolls originally, were to be read in church communities as we read them this morning. People didn't take them home and read them in the privacy of their own room. They were read to the church. Believing communities are the context for living out our faith. The church is an expression of the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit. The community that exists within the Godhead is worked out in our own communities together as we work out what love looks like and grace and hope and endurance. Our life of faith is worked out within the context of community. So in chapter 1 and verse 10, in this revelation of Jesus, he says, Write to the churches, sorry, 11, write on a scroll what you see to the churches. When John hears this voice, like a trumpet sound behind him, and he turns around to see who's speaking, the first thing he sees are the lampstands. The first thing 
he sees are the lampstands. Seven lampstands, which represent the seven churches to which he has given some kind of pastoral oversight. And in the midst of the lampstands, he sees one like a son of man. Among them, he sees Jesus. Seven churches. Why seven? I mean, he could have written to a fair few others, places like Colossae, for example, but he doesn't. He chooses seven, seven related to John, seven the number of completeness, a symbol of wholeness. So the message here is, yes, there are different facets of the church, but this is to the whole church, the whole church then, now, and forever. Now, I want to say something really profound at this point, so are you ready? Are you still frozen? (laughs) It's this. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. Now, you may or may not always be able to put your own name at the beginning of that sentence. But whatever you think, Jesus loves the church. And we must never forget that. Because this book of Revelation starts with that vision of Jesus speaking to the church and it ends with Jesus coming back to claim his bride, his church. Jesus loves the church. He is not seen apart from his church. His gathered Listening, praying, believing, worshipping people to whom he is Lord and Saviour. He is with us, among us, with his church. And time and again, we hear through these words of revelation that the church is the hope for the world. I'm sure you said that last week, Phil. The church is the hope for the world. Okay, they haven't grasped it from last week. It's cold. It's colder when you've been here since 8 o'clock, trust me. (laughs) The church is the hope for the world, and don't we need that? Yes, Lisa, is good at this point. Come on, please try. I'm trying. All right. (laughs) The church is the hope for the world. This is how Jesus works. Now, increasingly many people say, well, I really like Jesus. I really like Jesus. In fact, I had a comment on Facebook from your, what did you write? Christ-respecting atheist friend. A really interesting turn of phrase. They like Jesus, but they don't like the contradictions of the church, the hypocrisy of the church, the distraction of the church. I find it easier when I'm looking at a stunning sunset or listening to an inspiring symphony I'm passionate about God, but I'm cool on the church. My friends, that is not an option. It is not an option. Not because I'm saying it, but because God says it. It is not an option to love Jesus and not love his church because Jesus loves the church. Why are people in nations where to gather together might risk death worth taking that risk to gather together because Jesus loves his church and because the church is the hope for the world. And it's easy for us in our little Western places where we can look on the internet 
And we can listen to a sermon on the internet and we can get great, fantastic worship on the internet and we can just plow our course. But that is not an option because Jesus loves his church and he calls his church to be together the hope of the world. And he writes in this final book, after that amazing revelation of who he is, to the church. Handwritten letters to his church because he loves them. And so we have these seven churches located geographically but defined theologically. These are people in a town who eat food from the local shops and who work in local jobs and speak a common language that they speak in that area. But they are more than that. They are gathered around Jesus. God makes his church. Have you ever looked around this church and wondered what a weird bunch of people we really are? How strange that we should all come together week by week. How strange that some of you should find yourselves in a small group with each other every week, loving each other, caring for each other, walking together the journey of life, studying the scripture together, loving Jesus together. How weird is that? It's because the church is not just about Skipton's geography, about a similar Whatever, language, standing, culture, whatever you want to call it. It's about the fact that Jesus brings all that diversity and he puts it together around him. The church is a theological thing, not just a cultural thing. The church only has being in relation to Jesus. Apart from that, we just have location but no identity. Our identity is in Jesus. And as we look at this vision together, to every letter, Jesus takes some aspect that he has revealed in that chapter one to define the church community that he's speaking to. So in Ephesians chapter one, sorry, not chapter one, verse one of chapter two, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. We heard that, didn't we? Verse eight, These are the words of him who is the first and last. We heard that as well, didn't we? Verse 12. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. And then verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All the churches get their identity from Jesus Christ. So we sing, Jesus be the center it's got to be that, hasn't it? It's got to be that, or else we really are Skipton Baptist Church and not Jesus' church, which is what we're about. So here's a key question for you. What reality is revealed as Jesus speaks to the churches? We're talking about reality revealed. What reality is revealed as Jesus speaks to the churches? Well, there's a whole bunch of things and we will be here for the whole next week. So I shall just choose one or two. The first one is this. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit speaks. Verse 7, 11, 17, 29, chapter 3, verse 6, 13, and 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit speaks. 
Now, that's actually quite exciting. If you look back in John chapter 16 and verse 13. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And then individually on Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. The Spirit speaks. God speaks. He speaks to his church. And if ever there's something that we need, it's that God, his spirit, would speak to us, isn't it? That he would be the one who directs us and discerns where we are going and leads us by his voice and speaks into our church so that we know what we're supposed to do. The flip side of that is represented by those. (laughs) The church listens. Now, many people on our streets, and some people in my house, have those in their ears a lot of the time. And when they have those little things in their ears, they do not hear anything else. They are 100% pretty much tuned in and listening to what they've decided to listen to, which is rarely their mother. (laughs) You know, I'm not a big earphonesy person, but I do use them on the train. Because on the train, there's so many distractions. I mean, I don't know how many deals I've heard on the train made and how many massive big issues with some building projects I've heard discussed. It's so distracting because people talk really loudly and then there's somebody else's music and then there's like something at the trolley coming. and So it's the time to put their earphones in, isn't it? So that you can focus. The church listens, does it? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do we listen? Is it a priority? Isaiah talks in the beginning In chapter 6, about having heavy ears. It's a really interesting metaphor, isn't it? Heavy ears. But just when you get so tired, you can't listen anymore. Are we like that? On occasions, people in my household have also selective listening. If people in your household have that. It's amazing that if you mention the word chocolate or... um, favorite television program or anything, that the hearing is perfect. We suggest taking the dog out for a walk or homework. A certain amount of selective listening occurs at that point. Are we like that? Do we choose what we want to hear from the Lord? We choose when we're tuned in. When we hear certain words, we are, oh, oh, that's exciting. We hear other words, we're not so interested. Jesus told a parable of the sower, He uses that exact same phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear. Does seed just 
fall onto the ground? Do the birds snatch it away? Does it grow up a little bit, but the worries and cares of our lives just take over? Is that true for our church? Has God spoken to us and we've just let go of the things that he said, forgotten about them, let the busyness of everything else crowd in? It's a big challenge, isn't it? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So these churches represent all churches, but they receive an individual, tailored, bespoke message from Jesus. And it includes three things, all of them do, pretty much. <laughs> a positive affirmation, apart from Sardis and Laodicea. It's not so good, is it? Corrective discipline, except Smyrna. And a motivating promise, and I will try and rattle through this quickly. So, positive affirmation. Jesus says those words, I know I discern, I perceive this about you as a church. And I wonder how many of us at various points have thought to ourselves, does anyone see? Has anyone noticed? Is it worth me continuing? Am I seen? Am I known? I'm persevering here. Does anyone know? And Jesus says, I know. I know. He has an intimate knowledge of the economic, cultural, and political situation in which these churches exist. He has a precise knowledge of what it means to be there as God's people, living their quiet, unnoticed, courageous lives. Jesus says, I know. I know. He says, I know your deeds. I know that you face poverty and slander. I know that you're holding on to the truth in the midst of idolatry. I know. What is he saying to us, to you? What does he know about you that is good? That is good. What does he know about us that is good? Perhaps we need to listen to him. And then he says to them, but I have this against you. He knows all that is good, but he knows all. He sees all. His blazing eyes of burning fire are like an x-ray to our souls, to the soul of our churches. Jesus said to the Pharisees that they were whitewashed sepulchers, that they looked beautiful on the outside, but inside they were rotting. Jesus sees everything about us. He sees what we look like and what we are really like. He sees the good and the bad and the ugly. He sees the forms of religion without the spiritual essence. He sees when we are loveless, when we are indifferent, when we tolerate uh, teaching that's of error, when we are immoral or unholy. He sees that. The church hadn't been around for very long when these letters were written, but already there was a tendency to decay. And I think that all of these churches don't exist anymore. That's the challenge, isn't it? God sees. Jesus sees. He highlights things. When he highlights something, he expects us to do something about it. 
And then there's this motivation to keep going. Is it a carrot or is it a stick? It's a little bit of both, actually. He says to the church in Ephesus, if you don't return to your first love, then your lampstand will be removed. But he uses more carrots than sticks, which is good because I like carrots. He motivates them. But I love this so much. He motivates them with something that's really special to the particular place that they are in. It's not the same thing for every church. So he says to Ephesus, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. And that's because Artemis, who is the goddess of Ephesus, her symbol was a fruitful tree. And in fact, people came into the temple and they grabbed hold of a tree to get asylum and safety. But Jesus says to them, if you overcome, I'll give you to eat from the tree of life for everlasting forgiveness and love and grace and the presence of God. He speaks to the church in Smyrna and says, I'll give you the crown of life because their city was built on a hill and it looked like a crown at the top. And they also had the victor's crown, the laurel crown in Smyrna. But Jesus says, I'll give you something more than that, a crown of life for all eternity, a victor's crown. And he goes to Pergamum And he says, I'm going to write your name on a stone, a white stone with a new name on it. You know, all the buildings in Pergamum were built in really dark stone, like an almost black stone. Jesus says, I'm going to put your name on a white stone. That's because when they wanted to put the identity of the building on the building, they used white stone so that it showed up against the black stone. That's how you knew the identity of something. There was also a tradition there where when you went to a feast, you were given a stone with your name on it as a token of admission. Jesus says, I'm going to write your name on a stone. It's our admission to life, life forever. And in Thyatira, which is the least important church, it has the longest letter. I will give you the morning star. Affirmation, correction, motivation for us to live out our faith, confident in Christ in a hostile environment. The church is the community of people who explicitly and consciously submit themselves to the direction and training of the Lord as spirit. Strengths are recognized and developed. Weaknesses are exposed and corrected. We are motivated by an inner strength to persevere to wholeness and completion. The churches of Revelation show us something really important. They show us that churches are not like this. They are not Victorian parlours where everything is picked up and ready for guests. They are more like this. Messy family rooms. Things are out of order because that's what happens when churches are lived in, isn't it? The church is not a showroom, it is a living room. I love going to show houses. They're wonderful, aren't they? Everything's perfectly in order, there's not mess anywhere. There's a reason for that. No one lives there. There's no cooking, there's no children. There's no piles of paper that you're meant to clear up. 
There's no clothes on the floor robe. It's a living room. We don't want to be a church that's kind of perfect in a show-homey kind of way. Well, sometimes we do, but we're not going to be. We want to be a church where there's clothes scattered on the floor and there's handprints on the woodwork and there's mud on the carpet because that's where people live. That's where there's messy stuff because Jesus calls sinners to be a part of his church. He calls people in a state, people in a mess, people like you and me, that was his first mistake, to be part of the church. This is the church, a place that shows the life and grace and mercy and hope of Christ in the reality and the messiness of our lives and our lives together. The seven lampstands. A lampstand is a location where the light is shown. The churches are not themselves the light. They are the lampstand. Jesus is the light. And the church reveals Jesus. And Jesus loves Jesus.